0: Big faces I love listening to it Kane Sims Kane Sims Kane Sims The one and only Britain's finest Mr. Kane Sims Dustin 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 Coates I like it when you guys are together And talking about boys Without further ado Welcome to the show
1: Boom And just like that We are live There we go Welcome, welcome, welcome Welcome, Tom How's it going? Alright, thank you Thank you for having me you're very welcome. This has been a long time on the cards this Tom. This has been how long has this been coming for?
0: I don't know. I I, I was just thinking back to when we first met, which which was at the uh, the London chatbot and voice assistant uh meetup. Got yeah. back in like 2017 maybe, maybe even, well been, I, I think it might have even been before VUX World Podcast even existed
1: it could have it could well have been yeah I think it might have been while we were while it was kind of being planned and stuff like that I think it was like November I want to say November 2017 or something like that wow
0: God, think, it's a, yeah. not a long, long time long time ago actually. it's, yeah. it's <laughs> Feels like a different era, really.
1: <laughs> it does a bit. It does. A, it does a little bit. Like I think that things have definitely changed, and that might be something we can get into. Is mm. even though that's not that long ago. I mean, Dustin, when when did you start writing your book? Was that twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen?
2: Maybe in twenty sixteen. Uh, really? twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen? Yeah, because that seems like ages
1: ago as well. When you were going through that process, and but in reality, I mean, twenty seventeen to now. It's not that long ago, but so much has so much has changed and moved on, hasn't it? Even even you know, in in two, three, four years, it's crazy.
2: Well, we'll have a, lots to talk about what you learned over those past three years, Tom.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I well, you something. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. And uh, yeah, if everyone, if anyone's tuning in, I can see there's people tuning in. Uh, if you have any questions for Tom, feel free to stick them in the comments, uh, and we'll and we'll put them to Tom. Um, so, Tom. I mean, where do, where do we start? I don't even know where to start, really. I mean, we've we've kind of met a few times in London. You've had a, a really good meet-up going over there, which I've spoken at a number of times, attended quite a few times. Uh, you've got LabWorks, which is doing fantastically. Congratulations on the funding uh, that you rose recently. Um, and so you've got a lot of experience in working with voice assistants, and more importantly, not just working with them like plenty of other people do, but actually building a business in that kind of environment. So I wonder whether maybe a place to start might be just broadly speaking, um, what's the last sort of year been like? Everyone's been staying at home. Everyone's had access to their kind of smart speakers around them all the time. Like what's what's the last sort of 12 months been like for, for you and LabWorks?
2: Yeah, if, uh, just really quick, Tom, if you don't mind as well, talking a little bit about what LabWorks uh, builds as well.
1: Good point. Good point. I'm getting too. I'm getting too over ahead of myself here. <laughs> that's, that's let's start there, and let, then, then let's go uh, after that to the last year. Yeah, good idea. All right.
0: Let, 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 me, let me start with a kind of potted introduction. So, I'm Tom. I'm the uh, founder of LabWorks.io. Um, we make something called Voice Arcade. Uh, it's a collection of games on your smart speaker, on your Alexa device, and your Google Assistant. Um, we've been going since 2017 um and we are in eight different countries um sorry eight different languages uh 14 different countries um so we we kind of have built out this um what i think is one of the kind of main voice gaming offerings uh on on the platform and you know i think as kind of part of that we've been really at the um the forefront of trying to figure out how to kind of Build a business on Alexa and Google Assistant. How to kind of actually actually make that make that work? Um, and yeah, it's been really really interesting. Um, so the kind of the last year, well, I mean, like like everybody, um, the uh, pandemic did cause a big increase in uh, traffic. Um, you know, a lot of people started using it. But one of the things that's been really interesting to us is that. In previous years, we really observed a, a seasonality effect where, um, you know, people were really playing voice games heavily in the winter, particularly around Christmas. Um, and, you know, at a few kind of other key points in the year. Um, whereas last year, it was much more steady throughout the year. Like, you know, we, we kind of saw the, um, the, the traffic, you know, in the kind of the months that we would usually expect to be lower kind of up at a, at a higher rate, which kind of reduced that seasonal effect. So I think that's something that's re- really, really interesting and something that I'm still not exactly certain whether that's going to continue after after lockdown's end or whether that is a new behaviour shift that people are just used to playing voice games more regularly now.
1: It's interesting, I know. Like, is, is there kind of so obviously christmas time people get uh new devices they ex- experiment a lot more when they first kind of get hold of them and things like that um is is there kind of like you mentioned that in general is, is it been like steady kind of thing throughout the year like is there been weekend spikes i would imagine that would traditionally maybe be the case like what what is it just being like completely steady in terms of Usage, yeah,
0: uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's like the uh, the kind of the traffic that you get in June is exactly the same as you get at Christmas. Obviously, uh, Christmas is still a bigger thing, but you know, in previous years, the the kind of the difference between Christmas and the middle of the summer was like very pronounced. Uh, whereas last year, what we saw was kind of Christmas pre-pandemic. You know that that was kind of as expected, like you know. But what we saw was the kind of what we expected to be quieter months actually the traffic levels coming up as people were in lockdown. Um, So I think people have been using their voice assistants more um, and more to play games. I suspect that's largely because like, you know, everyone's bored at home. I mean, I, I sit at home and I'm like, what is it, to, what going to do today? I, I mean, I, like, I personally have played more games in the last year than since, uh, since I was a teenager, I think, you know, because there's nothing else to do and gaming is great. Like, it's a great kind of escapist uh, thing and I think that um, our games, which are kind of very, very kind of casual, something that people can play together, really help to just kind of like, break up the monotony of a you know lockdown evening for kind of 20 minutes half an hour that kind of spark a discussion you know we're 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 really interested in this um you know our whole kind of like philosophy um at at kind of lab works about voice arcade is is um you know we we build games that bring people together we want to build games that kind of get people together in the same room talking to each other having fun having conversation it's kind of we look at our games as kind of almost like facilitating conversations between the people that are playing them um, and you know I think that the pandemic has increased the need for that because people are just stuck at home together more and so have less to talk to each other about
2: <laughs> and Tom, what I'm curious about is you're talking about that growth. Is are you seeing mainly the growth coming from new users new users coming on? Or is it more retention overall?
0: Um You know, I think it's a mix of, like a mix of both.
2: Uh, Sorry, that's a really unhelpful answer.
0: Um, You know, definitely have seen kind of new users coming on. Um, However, you also expect kind of retention uh, to increase as people play, play your games. And as your games have been longer in the market, you know, on day one, every user is going to be new. And, you know, after you've had a game out for three years, you'd expect a lot more of them to be returning users. Um, So, You know, it's very hard to kind of discern whether that is purely COVID or whether there's other things. My my suspicion is that that we're getting new users in, um, like extra new users coming in because of COVID, uh, and that, you know, just the nature of the kind of the games being around for longer work that we've been doing to increase retention and stuff is driving increased retention. But, you know, hard, hard to, hard to pick, pick out some of these things, unfortunately.
1: Hmm. Interesting. What What's the, I mean, Rich, Richard, Richard had mentioned, um, he, I'm guessing that the interpretation of this shouldn't be that last year was like one big Christmas. I think that was when you were saying about, about the traffic. I, I don't think that's what we're saying, but I think that, that the pandemic as terrible as it's been for many, many families, um, certain sectors have seen decent kind of growth, decent activity. And so in this instance, you've got a company, you build voice games, you are targeting Alexa and Google Assistant. These things are in people's houses. People are spending more time at home. Usage of these devices is going up. Seems as though usage of games is going up. Was it in hindsight a pretty good time to launch Voice Arcade?
0: Uh, well, we, we, we didn't plan on, on you know, global Cost, Of course, but, but of yeah. Frankly, you know, Voice Arcade to, launched as a, as a kind of brand uh, in September, so midway through the pandemic. I mean, we were working on it before the pandemic started. Um, but, you know, we, we, we kind of the, – the idea of uh, turning all our games into kind of this single portfolio that you could just ask to open Voice Arcade and then play any of our games – that, that only, um, you know, that was not really because of the pandemic. That was something that we were doing instead. And, and I think that's also something that's like a little tricky to talk about with like startups is that, you know, like in a startup, you're obviously doing a lot of work to kind of like to grow the business and to, you know, get more users and all, all those kind of other things. And so you've got these kind of like massive macro trends and then you're also doing stuff and it is actually like very noisy to understand, you know, is it the things that you're doing or is it the, the kind of the wider macro trend? And really, we need uh, the world to go back to normal so that we can know. Um, and, you know, I, I want the world to go back to normal because I want to go to the pub. So,
1: <laughs> So do I. It's been too long since we've had a beer. Uh, in yeah, yeah, exactly. Since, since I've even been to London, feels like forever.
0: Cool. Yeah, right. Have a uh, off the, the record, off the record chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: speaking of off the record uh it was on the record but uh the the if you haven't if anyone's listening that hasn't checked out the the episode that you did with brett kinsella on voice on the Voicebook podcast i was a bit gutted that he beat me to that uh episode because i was there for your talk in munich and it it was genuinely fantastic we won't cover the same ground we might get into some of it perhaps but um definitely check it out 10 hot takes on what it's actually like to build uh, for voice
0: I, I think it's sort of funny, actually, that that talk, because I feel like last year, um, you know, about halfway through last year, everybody started saying, oh, there's a voice winter. There's all these like problems in the industry, particularly uh, people building for Alexa and Google. Um, and, you know, that talk that I gave kind of back in uh, October the year before was really, you know, the kind of my like, articulation of those issues. Um, and it's funny because now like fast forward another kind of like 18 months and a lot of people are still talking about uh, the voice winter. And I actually think, um, you know, we're in a much more positive phase than we than we were, um, even for people that are building for Alexa and Google. Um, so, you know, I, I, I like to think that, you know, we're, we're da- down in the trenches, trying to kind of figure, figure stuff out. Um, and hopefully that's kind of getting us like, you know, early signals on which way the kind of the industry is going.
1: Interesting. We've got some questions coming through. I'm going to get to those questions in a minute. Those of you that have been putting them down, thanks and, and keep them coming. We'll, we'll try and get through as much as we can. Um, I've got, I, I do want to ask you a question about the, about the early days, but first you kind of alluded to something there in terms of things have changed from, from when you kind of gave that talk in Munich. Was that 2019? That was 2019, wasn't it? Mm. yeah Yeah. wow god (laughs) um so what 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 in particular do you think is has changed for the better since since then
0: um so in october 2019 or certainly during 2019 i developed a feeling that um amazon and google had to an extent taken their foot off the pedal um you know I, i wasn't quite sure Exactly where they were going uh, with like with these platforms uh, and kind of how much third party developers really meant to them um and you know that that led to that talk, which was kind of basically a list of the things that, that needed fixing on those platforms to work, uh, you know, just like fixing discovery, fixing monetization, fixing retention, you know, ba- basically trying to kind of spell out why it was that people were struggling to kind of um, build businesses on, the, on those platforms. Um, and, you know, I think that the platforms have done a fair amount over the last 18 months to address that. You know I'm not saying that we're there like I'm not saying that kind of the the problem is solved, but you know when you look around, there are green shoots. there are people out there that are making meaningful amounts of money out of um in skill purchasing uh, you know there are there are people that you know the discovery challenge. Although not solved it it, you know some of the things that amazon has been doing with screen-based devices does seem to does seem to have some interesting effects you know I, i kind of feel more hopeful for the platforms than i did 18 months ago if i'm
1: honest that's good that's interesting um so we'll get to some of these questions uh, in a moment, and I think there's there's a couple asking about discoverability. So it would be, be nice to get into that in terms of like how how you're approaching it and, and things like that. Um, but first, I don't know if I don't know if David Law is, is tuning in, but if he is, shout out to David Law. Uh, we had him on a clubhouse session the other week, and he reminded me of uh, a time that I think you've spoken about before, but I don't know if you've spoken about it for a while when. So for those that don't know, I think the history of LabWorks is that you were building chatbots at the time, was it? Um, and then you one day just decided to experiment on a weekend with a bit of downtime on building a skill for Alexa. Uh, turned out that that skill actually ended up doing fairly well, although you weren't really that, paying that much attention to it. So you didn't particularly know. <laughs> and, then, and then you got a phone call. Uh, and I believe that phone call was from David Lowe. Wasn't it?
0: It was. It was indeed. I mean, shout, shout out to David Lowe. He's actually on our board of advisors. Um, you know, he, he's a very integral part of the, the business. Um, you know, he, yeah, he was. He was my introduction to the Alexa world. You know, I, I as, as you say, I was building chatbots at the time, and I was doing um, client side stuff. I, I was kind of building chatbots for brands like uh, Unilever and. Anode and Sage and stuff. Uh, and, you know, Alexa came to the UK, and I thought, well, it's likely that these people are going to ask me to design stuff for Alexa eventually. Better like figure out what you can do on Alexa. Um, and so I decided to build a little game just because I love games and I thought it would be a neat thing to kind of work on as a hobby project. Um and yeah, and you know, and then it did just happen to kind of hit the hit the moment and was really successful and you know, yeah, as as David said, he kind of rang me up out of the blue to say, Hey, do you know this is the third most popular thing on the platform? Um, and I had no idea because I hadn't put any analytics on it um, and they told me that they were just starting this program called Developer Awards um, and that they were going to start paying me money for this like, little <laughs> hobby project that, that I'd built um, You know, I almost thought it was like a prank call when I first got it <laughs> um, but, but I, I kind of, um, once I calmed down I did, did the, uh, the math and um, I realised that Uh, if I could kind of, you know, take that money and use it to hire someone and build another game, then I could like turn this into a real business. And so that's what I did and kind of took the money that they gave me and I used it to hire someone and we built another game and that gave us enough money that we were able to hire a couple more people and then build another game and more people and so on and so on. And so that, that's kind of the company grew very organically, but all out of developer awards um, and, you know, our kind of mission over the last two years really has been to reduce our reliance on developer awards. That kind of program has been wound down significantly over, over the last two years. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of needed to find a way to kind of bring in revenue to pay for a team of eight without like, without kind of um, relying on Amazon just to give you cash the whole time. Um, and, you know, in-skill purchasing is the way that kind of Amazon set out that we should kind of go about this, that developers should go about this. And so it's been a kind of an interesting journey for us over the last two years to kind of figure out, well, how do you make in-skill purchasing really work? What is it that people will be willing to pay for? Um, and I think that's really interesting.
2: Hmm. I think that's going to be a topic of interest for a lot of people. We, We see a few questions here. So maybe if you don't mind jumping into that a little bit, what have you learned about what works, what doesn't work for ISPs?
0: Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's a, like, the, the, the problem is this probably isn't going to be that helpful um, advice to, to anyone, unfortunately. Um, you know, we did a lot of user research around ISPs um, yeah, and a lot of testing, you know, we already had kind of a bunch of successful games, um, and so we had the kind of the luxury of being able to test lots of different models and explore um, what, like, what did and didn't work. And, you know, when we kind of combine that, we user research and we kind of came to the conclusion that the reason that people weren't buying stuff or weren't kind of purchasing ISPs in a large enough mo- amount to kind of make a sustainable vi- business was because we weren't providing enough value. Like it, it was really as simple as that, was that people just didn't find voice skills and voice games valuable enough to be willing to pay for them. Um, And, you know, once we kind of hit upon that insight, we kind of like flipped our thinking to, well, how do we make something that's valuable enough that people will pay for it? um and you know we spent some time thinking about it and working on it and that that's kind of what brought us to voice arcade that's
2: what made us build and launch voice arcade what is it what is it then about voice arcade that what's the value that people are seeing in voice arcade that they weren't seeing before
0: so the big difference is that whereas In each of our games, previously, you were buying, um, you know, content or lives or whatever um, in, like, the individual game. Voice Arcade, you're signing up for, like, a subscription to the entire portfolio. So we're no longer selling people on an individual like game, we're selling them on the kind of the premise of a whole collection of games. And so the value proposition that you get from that is much, much higher. You know, for for the user, they, they pay once and get access to like eight different games. So, you know, it kind of feels to them like they get much more value.
1: Do you think that's I think you've touched on something really interesting there. Do you think that's part of the trouble? And I promise people we will get to your questions. I know there's been quite a few more coming through. Uh but this is this is quite an interesting angle in that you realize that having all of this suite of games together makes more sense. And and I don't know how how much is the subscription for Voice Arcade?
0: Uh it's 99p a month or 99 cents a month.
1: So in that instance, you're you're giving away far more than you're kind of asking for in return? Mm. 99 pence for access to all them games and, and all, everything else that comes with it is, like, you would you could pro- you could probably make the argument to say that you're giving away far more value than you're actually asking for in payment. Well, Do you think that's been half of the issue with people with ISPs, is that they just can't demonstrate enough or more value than it seems it's worth paying for? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, well, I, I think that's really interesting. Uh, it it kind of takes you back to... Uh, it's a really great quote that i read from uh bezos actually the the he said um you know there are two types of companies There are types of companies that work ever harder to charge their customers more and there are types of companies that work ever harder to charge their customers less and amazon wants to be the second kind and i also think the lab works wants to be the second kind you know we want to give the user the most value that we possibly can for the lowest amount um, of costs. And, you know, we have spent a lot of time and effort thinking like, how do we retool the business to, you know, drive down costs? Um, you know, how do we make things as efficient as possible? You know, when, when I kind of talk about, you know, why this isn't necessarily that helpful advice to kind of someone starting out like, we had the luxury because we've got like a load of different a load of different games that we could bring them into um, you know a single shared code base so that any updates that we need to do like you know happen and get across the whole portfolio and you know there are kind of like good like economies of scale uh, once you can start doing stuff like that that allows you to do a lot more with less um, so you know we we've found that that for us that, that model works, that we're we're able to drive down the the cost sufficiently to be able to provide the service at a at a price that we think is kind of pretty much for most customers, they're like, Oh well, yeah, you know, like I'm quite happy to pay ninety nine P a month. It's you know, it's not much, it, you know, and it and it, like um, like if I've got a game and I like it, you know, yeah, why not?
2: and I, I think that's really interesting because you, you're showing that you're you're showing this value but i think there are a few questions and i've got this question as well about how are you getting users into the skill and then showing them that value uh, mm. because uh Labworks is is a known brand amongst amongst us but for your average uh alexa user it may not be so how are you showing them that indeed it is worth this 99 cents this 99 pence a month
0: Hmm. So, um, so from a kind of a pure like mechanics point of view, when you play one of our games um, at the end of it, you know, it says, would you like to play something else? And you say yes. And it takes you to another game within voice arcade. We're very careful to brand um, everything as voice arcade, you know, from a kind of a consumer point of view, actually, yeah, they don't know who lab works are at all, but they do know about voice arcade when we do kind of tests we we do see we do see uh that people that play voice games do know what voice arcade is. They do have awareness of that. Um and I think that is really really interesting for like for us. Um so yeah. We 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 kind of th- think think that, that you know we were able to use our existing kind of you know usage on the platform. We already had a lot of users in order to kind of promote the new service to to them all if that makes sense Hmm.
1: there's there's questions that um very much of them some of of them are very similar to this so we probably won't get to them all but this is a a good one that encapsulates the whole thing so we've, we've talked about discoverability a few times uh it was one of the things that you mentioned in 2019 being one of the real kind of difficult challenges so how is it that you're you're kind of solving how are you kind of acquiring users I suppose is the question how are you approaching this discoverability thing you obviously had great success in the early days and and that's given awareness probably and maybe some default behaviours that that uh users kind of go to even me myself would you rather is the first thing that kind of pops in my head when i think about playing a game and so it's just naturally the thing that if i'm if i do want to do something like that then that's kind of the thing that comes into my head so what what is it that you kind of did do to acquire users and has that changed now that you've got a more established user base
2: yeah Um, sorry justin Oh no! I was just gonna say. I think Pete Haas is asking a similar question as well. You know, are you doing ads, landing pages? Uh, how much is Amazon featuring you? Uh, you know, Ken, you mentioned. Would you rather? I was cooking lunch earlier, and uh, you know, it suggested. Mm. Would you like to play? Would you rather? I was like, hey, I know that guy. Um, <laughs> but how much? How much is that helping versus those those outbound those external efforts you're doing?
0: Yeah. So so, I mean, there's kind of like two two things like one is i've kind of already discussed we leverage off our existing traffic to introduce new games to people that are kind of playing our other games um and that's pretty effective um you know we do continue to get support uh from both platforms um you know i don't want to just talk about Alexa. I know that's kind of like the topic of business but we are also on google in like you know whatever the like 14 different countries as well you know we we do a lot and it, it it's a it's a meaningful share of the business it's not like we just sort Alexa with like a little bit of google you know google is also a really big part of what we do um uh you know we do get support from the platforms uh that is largely because we 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 have this um belief in uh in kind of innovation and quality like we really believe that you know everything we should do should be like pushing the boundary of what the platforms can do we we want to make the best voice experiences possible um and you know and we do the kind of like the boring work that makes a product good you know like Mm -hmm. fixing all the bugs like testing things like 200 times even after you're like ah, i can't bear to listen to this (laughs) thing again like you know like the Building good product is not rocket science. It's just it's often really quite boring, um, and and you know, and people people don't like doing it. But like, but that's what that's what it takes to make to make your product good. And if you make your product good, the platforms are always looking for stuff to like to share with their with their users. And you know, you can see you can see that in your numbers. That you know, if you make like a skill or a game that has got good retention like it gets promoted more. Like there's not, there's there's not anything that like no one else can do. Like if you build something that's good, it will get promoted because the platforms are, they're literally desperate to promote stuff because frankly, it's like, you know, it's like us and Volley and Matchbox that are kind of like making stuff and like nobody else seems to make anything anymore. So like, you know, it, it kind of, they're desperate for new people to make kind of high quality things that they can promote. But the, the reality is that the um, I think that the bar has risen to the point now where, as an individual developer, you would really struggle to produce something high quality enough to get that promotion. You, you know, we we have like a team of people that are specialists. We've got specialists. You know, we've got a graphic designer. We've got developers. Uh, you know, we've got we've got kind of people that do all sorts of different things and are really expert at the thing that they do. And you kind of need that in order to build something that's really high quality. And I think that a single person on their own is actually really difficult for them to do that, unfortunately.
2: Kane, I think we should um that was really good. I think we should cut that out and release that as a standalone video. (laughs) I think that was really good (laughs)
1: tough.
2: Uh, but it's interesting what you mentioned the, the very end there, because we also have a question from Mark who's asking, what would be your word of advice for voice dev hobbyists wanting to go professional? So it seems you take a dim view of someone being able to build these skills to the quality that's necessary to, to be professional just doing that. But you know, if somebody wanted to jump into it or maybe get started, what would be your advice there?
0: Oh, I, I definitely don't take a dim a dim view of it. Like, it, I mean, it's to be highly encouraged. I, uh, you know, like I, I was I was a hobbyist. Like, I started out as you know someone playing around with a platform. It can happen to anyone. I mean, you know, like think about like Flappy Bird or mobile. Like, you know, there were already plenty of plenty of good games on mobile by the time Flappy Bird came out. You know, Angry Birds, like whatever. Like, there were loads of like big hitters already out there flappy Bird, built by some vietnamese guy that it was like his first app he ever built like worldwide sensation you know the guy made millions and millions off of it um you know there is no reason that that it has to be kind of one of the pre-existing people i just think that it's a lot harder if you're if you're not one of the kind of If you don't have that team around you, you know, you're relying much more on kind of being able to strike it lucky to kind of come up with the exact perfect concept at the exact moment in time. Um, And, you know, one of the things that we're looking at as a business, you know, trying to kind of pay people's salaries every time, like every month is... How do we make it re- make it, it reliable and sustainable? How do we make sure that every month we're bringing in enough revenue that we can pay everyone's salaries? And you know, that that leads to a different type of kind of process, and actually leaves the door wide open to hobbyists that aren't constrained with that because you can afford to be much more experimental. You know, when, when you're when you're kind of a studio, particularly as soon as you kinda of like venture capital funded, you know, you've got very like strict rules about what you're trying to do and, you know, like what angle you're going at and you know, you've sold all these people on the business plan that you've now got to fulfill. And it's entirely possible that your kind of concept is wrong and somebody else that's, you know, not constrained by any of that is gonna discover some kind of new thing that's gonna be twice as big and, you know, you, there's not a lot that you can do about it. So actually uh, I would encourage everyone that there's kind of um, hobbyists to kind of keep going, um, you know, cause I, I think that that's where the real innovation is going to come from.
1: Interesting. That's, that's a good point. Nat. I think that the experimentation is, is an interesting one because like you could be potentially um, what's the word Uh you could be, you you could think that the experimentation is kind of, kind of being done as such, like we like now. I was thinking about this the other day. Like on Alexa, we know that it's very good for accessing audio. Videos, podcasts, music—fantastic. We know that it's very good for kind of like laid-back, sort of like interactive, but not too interactive, kind of stories and stuff like that. You know, like where you can like I do it with my kids, you know, we'll we'll have an interactive kind of story on like a BBC something, and, and it's like you, you don't really have to pay too much attention to it, but it, it but it's there. And we know it's very good for for the more lean lean into kind of gaming environments like you've kind of uh, described. With the jury's still out on whether it's a service we we'll, we'll, we'll probably won't get to that but okay. how how much experimentation into new formats and stuff like that do you do and do you think that the kind of uh, you kind of alluded to it there but I'm wondering how much you've learned through your experience through doing this for a long time in terms of figuring out how it should be done and how much kind of experimentation you think there is still to be had in those in the platforms
0: I mean you know I, th- I think that um the experimentation that, that we do is kind of like very constrained around like kind of a few key things that we think are, are really important. So we, we believe in uh, voice-first screen devices. Um, you know, we, we kind of believe that, you know, five years out from now, that most people will be interacting with our games on a TV with a voice assistant. So it kind of makes sense for us to really kind of understand and get good at how do you make that kind of multimodal um experience work like how do you kind of join visuals and voice together in a way where you're kind of controlling the the kind of the interaction via voice so you know we do, do a lot of thinking around that we we care a lot about recognition you know this industry wouldn't exist without the kind of the improvements in recognition that we saw, you know, with the introduction of Farfield mics. like, you know, before that, you know, IVR existed. But what kind of created the kind of the most recent wave of voice startups and voice businesses is the the kind of the improvements in recognition that we've seen. Um, And we believe that that's a kind of like a foundation for everything um, and that anything that we can do to improve the recognition in our games just like has a huge impact on retention on session lengths on people's willingness to pay like you know it, it's just massive because what i take away from that is that people want to play these experiences and where they and to want to pay for them and the you know where they are not it's because the technology is letting them down. It's the recognition technology is letting them down. And if we can do things to fix that, then they're going to play more. And I think that's, that's you know, re- really, really great. And also has the benefit of being like scalable across all our games. So, you know, I spend a lot of time worrying about like, you know, how do we do things that are scalable across the entire portfolio? Um, and to, yeah, and then kind of, I think the rest of the innovation stuff we we're still really trying to understand like how do you tell people about kind of something that you play on a on a smart speaker you know how do you how do you kind of like market that and you know I mean I think somebody asked in the questions um about uh you know running ads and buying in traffic um etc and you know obviously we do do a lot of experimentation around that um you know we've run kind of google ad campaigns facebook ad campaigns you know the works to try and understand how much does it cost to acquire a user like doing that you know what like what does that actually look like how valuable is that user to you um and i think that 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 is you know I think that stuff is kind of really, really interesting and really like integral to kind of the next phase of the industry as kind of things continue to professionalize. I mean, if you look at like mobile gaming, you know, paid acquisition over time has become a really big uh, thing um, to the point now where, you know, most indie developers are completely drowned out because they just can't get... Um, they just don't have the budgets to do the kind of paid acquisition needed to to make make it work anymore.
2: Staying on the experimentation topic, you also mentioned uh, quite a bit earlier that you also work and try out these new technologies, these new platform features, and I'm curious how you go about deciding which ones to prioritize, which ones to focus on, Uh, because as someone who was very bullish on alexa gadgets and alexa buttons and things like that um how do you make sure you don't make the same mistake i did don't
0: don't don't talk to me about uh buttons (laughs) Uh, i um we we yeah we built alexa buttons uh into all our games as well so I, i kind of i'm familiar with your pain and i'm sure if you were one of the early developers like we were you'll feel our pain for just how difficult that was (laughs) <laughs> um uh, but you know that i mean that's that's the that's the kind of the uh the flip side of being on the bleeding edge is that sometimes you get cut like you know that that's that's just kind of part and parcel of it um but i kind of think that that you know innovation um you know kind of experimentation piece is really important um if you're trying to kind of Drive forward a business and drive forward an industry. You know, it's kind of why I get up in the morning is to is to kind of actually like try and do something. I don't kind of sit there and like you know play through like other games on Alexa and be like, oh okay, like this is something that we can like copy or whatever. You know, it, it's it, it's you know we we kind of want to create stuff that is like new and fun and the you know actually brings a kind of exciting new experience to the platform. Uh, and you know, I I think. You know, frankly, like, people don't go into making games to be rich. Like, if you want to, like, run a startup and be rich, then, like, make a SaaS platform, you know, some B2B SaaS platform. You know, people make games because they love making games. Um, And, you know, like, as a team, we're kind of highly motivated by is this even going to be any fun like you know can we experiment with this thing like we play test it internally is it fun does it add some kind of like new type of gameplay or something that we think is going to be you know people are going to be excited to play and if the answer is yes then we implement it and if the answer is no then we just say well it's not right for us right now Hmm.
2: and are there any new platform features that you're particularly excited to integrate into your games or build a new game around?
0: Um, so uh, on Google, um, we're doing work with um, a Continuous Match, um, which I think is re- really interesting um, because it, it allows you to... Um, it cuts a lot of the latency because the uh, the user can speak and it's kind of picks up on the device and it, you know I think I think that, that there's some kind of and, and you know they can talk over the music it, it breaks you out of the kind of like the standard request response model um, which I think it think is kind of really interesting. Um, I think on Alexa, I think that on Alexa we we're, we're kind of more in the phase of I think that. There is everything there that you need from a kind of a platform perspective to make it work. Now, I believe. I mean, you know, we, we talked about this um, before before the kind of the start the start uh, of the the kind of the talk um, when we were off air. Uh, that you know, I don't actually think that it's harder now than it was uh, when when we started because now you've got a platform that's much more mature. You, you've got kind of monetization that does work. You know, you've got a kind of reliable certification systems. Like you've got, like when you implement stuff, it actually works in the way you're expecting. Documentation's good. Like it's a lot easier to build for these platforms than it was three years ago. Um, and I think that that does actually significantly lower the barrier to succeeding.
1: Interesting. You mentioned there's a a couple of things. Um, One of them was that earlier on you were talking about the speech recognition being such a crucial part. And you're right. You know, that's that's for for, for many times. People used to say that that it's impossible to get people through three turns of a conversation on Alexa Mm -hmm. because of these kind of speech recognition engines. And obviously you, you don't really have any control over that when you're building in, in, in Alexa that's kind of like just part of it and same with Google Assistant you don't have control over the ASR um, and Matt Book is asking a question this is a question he asked a while back but it seems more prevalent now than it than it was at the beginning which is around have you thought or considered about doing something similar to like Novel Effect for example where a standalone app voice first you know there's a screen there as well so matt's asking if you've ever considered or tried like building something for the web but beyond that you've got apps and stuff like that where you would have a lot more control over some of that kind of pipeline like the speech recognition and things like that is that something you see potential in in future or do you think that the, the future is very much building on alexa google assistant and working into tvs and things like that
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I just like before before I answer it. Um, it's not true that, that there's like nothing that you can do with mm-hmm. uh, the Alexa and Google speech recognition. Actually, the kind of the way that you set up your intents and optimize stuff is actually really really important for how like how good your recognition is. There there is a big difference between just kind of like sticking something up and like and carefully tailoring your interaction model um so you can get good good kind of improvements out of doing that kind of thing um
1: but that's more on the nlu though isn't it not yeah right on, yeah, on the, on the ASR. but yeah
0: you know what one of the but I, I don't want to get kind of bogged down because i'm not answer answering a question but one of the advantages of when you're like particularly in in gaming is that you got like you know the state the user is in. You know what kind of step they're going to do, and it's not like a customer service conversation where you know they can literally say anything, and you want to kind of be able to handle it reasonably. Like you know, in a game, if they say something that doesn't make any sense, like but they're in a particular state of the game, you can say. Well, chances are that they didn't say that. They actually are probably saying something that does something else. And, you know, obviously we do our own kind of like custom NLU on top of what we get out of Electra and stuff to fine tune it. Um, But, you know, you can get a long way with some of of these things. Um, And, you know, I often hear people kind of complaining about um, uh, Alexa or Google and then when you start digging into it they're not even kind of implementing all of the features like they're not using kind of multi-slot values or um, dynamic entities or whatever and it's like you know you've you, you got to like have used all the things that are available to you before you can before you can start saying that you're not being given enough <laughs> um sorry so anyway let, let yeah. me, so uh regarding the web um it's, a, like, it's an interesting question. It's not something uh, that we've experimented with. Um, it's Our kind of theory, our hypothesis, has always been around kind of like family game night uh, and to the kind of the idea that people are playing our games in a household together. Um, and we feel that kind of far-field microphone technology is kind of a necessary component of that. Um, you know, certainly if we were to uh, go into the kind of the app or um, web space, we would want to look like really carefully at the types of games that we would bring to those platforms because different games are suited to different mediums. Um, and you know, I think that a game that would work well using your voice on a web browser is probably fairly different from one that would work well on Alexa or Google assistant.
2: Hmm.
1: That's interesting. What about uh, you, you kind of alluded to this earlier and this kind of touches on a question that Richard has also had a little bit earlier on. It's kind of twofold one is, um, what do you do around your brand identity? You mentioned that people are starting to recognize the name brand, uh, voice arcade. Uh, you know, you do do a good job of using sound effects and icons and things like that in, in the, in the experiences and stuff like that. Do you have a purposeful approach to, to your brand identity?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, like voice arcade is, um, you know, the kind of like the brand is a really core part of what, what we're doing. I mean, we, we, we looked to when we kind of decided on this um, portfolio games approach and stuff. We thought we thought about. It. We said, "Well, like, there's going to be a problem if we kind of bring new games to the platform and people don't know how to find them. How are we going to make sure that people can always find our games?" Uh, and so we decided that we needed a good kind of strong brand. Uh, that um, that we could teach people and we could, they could then invoke that and reliably reach our games. And that's kind of where we came up with Voice Arcade. And we see that working, you know, we see that in the data that, you know, like, like tens of thousands of people like a day, like ask for Voice Arcade specifically. Like, you know, we know that people are learning how to kind of um, ask, ask for that. Um, and, you know, and I think that that's been really important, you know, you kind of mentioned, uh, ear cons. Um, so we have the kind of like the voice arcade, like, you know, that kind of plays at the start of every single game. Um, so that kind of people know that the game is part of voice arcade. Um, and, you know, just to kind of continually reinforce that idea that if you want to play games on your smart speaker, you say Alexa or Google open voice arcade. Um, and you know that—that's kind of like the message that we're always trying to kind of drive home to the people playing our games.
1: Nice. And and Katie's—the second half of Katie's question is very similar to one that Richard asked earlier on, which is, uh, how do you go about? we've talked about discoverability in terms of getting people into the games you've mentioned there around the education that you kind of do on a regular basis to educate people in how to get into the games by using the voice arcade invocation uh, phrase what about when people are in the games what do you do around helping people discover you know the, the game itself the features that exist around the skill and, and all that kind of stuff like how do you how do you dis, how do you approach in skill discover discoverability of, of features and capabilities and games and things like that
0: it's a really really interesting question um i think that that i'm going to give like a bit of a cop-out answer that yeah if you're having to do too much kind of discovery within the skill then um it's probably not simple enough uh you know most you know, you don't need discovery to have a conversation with a person. You know, it's, it's not like if we're having a conversation, I'm like, you can say these three things to me. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it should feel kind of very natural. And the kind of the um the frame of reference of the game. So when you're kind of like bringing people into the game world, the kind of the frame of reference that you're giving them should kind of tell them everything they need to know about like what they want to ask or Don't want to ask and then and then kind of beyond that um we rely very heavily on kind of like um correcting like when people make mistakes so if they say something um that doesn't work we'll kind of say oh like you know sorry didn't like get that like these are things that you could do or whatever you know it depends i i think that um Something, you know, this goes back to what I was saying about, like, doing the kind of, like, the hard, boring work that makes products great. Like, every single interaction in every game has, like, a unique help prompt, a unique, um, like, reprompt. Like, you know, the, the, there are loads, like, you know, if you come at it from, like, this place, you get one kind of message. If you come from a different, you get, like, from a different part of the game, you get a different message so that everything is always highly contextual to whatever kind of um, state the user is in.
1: Interesting. That's quite an interesting uh, way of approaching it. And so how much of the work that you do then is, this is another thing I've been thinking about recently, uh, is that people talk about the happy path and the ideal way of going through uh, an experience and things like that. And from a game, you would expect that, or you would think that, The happy path should be followed most of the time, especially if it's like a quiz or something like that. But the reality is that there's a whole lot of work to be done. Uh, You mentioned the speech recognition, perhaps playing up or whatever, you know, language model issues or what have you. So how much of the kind of to give people a bit of an understanding about like where energy is spent, how much of the time and effort around designing a fantastic experience is spent? In those areas that are outside of the typical gameplay, like the the error recovery, the customized help prompts, the contextual help, and all that kind of stuff, like how much time and effort is spent around, like around the actual main game, if that makes sense.
0: Um. So, like, so this is like a good example of where uh, you know, doing a lot of stuff like makes you more efficient so we're able to kind of lean heavily on like design patterns that you know we kind of have come up with in the past for other games within each one that allows us to kind of you know we don't have to think too hard about the kind of like the mechanics of a lot of these things it's just like okay right we need to write the like some prompts or whatever which is quite quite quick to do um you know i would i would say that without doubt when it comes to games like the hardest bit is building scoring mechanics like sco- like because scoring mechanics are kind of what incentivize people to play uh, and that is the bit that takes like yeah if you get that wrong like no one will play your game or they'll like play it once and never again um you know and it's really really hard um you know like uh, i've worked in product design for a long time and it's it's the most challenging Thing that I've ever done in product design you know you see, like, like, I, I kind of think that getting that kind of game mechanic scoring mechanic right is where you need to kind of devote most of your energy um,
1: beyond why, why is that before you move on why, why is that so difficult
0: because it's got to it's got to feel fun. It's got to be really simple to understand. It's got to feel fun, like you know. Usually, scoring mechanics sits right inside the game loop, uh, which is the kind of like the activity that the user is doing again and again. So it's going to be highly repeated. So it's got to like not feel like frustrating or boring or repetitive. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of the it's one of those ones where um, it's really hard to say like. Yeah, I can't really just tell you like how to build a good kind of game mechanic or a good game loop. It's, it's, it's very much a kind of, you know, you have to build something, play it. Does it feel fun? No. Okay, like iterate it a bit. Does it feel fun? Like just again and again. But, you know, that that process of getting that right can take, you know, weeks and weeks to, to kind of get right. Um, you know, I would say that the bit that we definitely do that also takes a lot a lot of time uh that's kind of outside of like the design uh arena specifically um is the kind of like the testing and fixing and testing and fixing and i mean that can easily be like half the entire time spent on the project is just going over like what? Like what it is that you've built. Like play testing it, finding out where it breaks. Like t- user testing it, like finding out where it breaks. Like just that that bit again and again. That kind of like iteration into until you've kind of fixed all of the edge cases takes a really long time.
1: How much of that is? Manual testing, spinning it up on device, playing it, going through it from a user perspective, yeah. versus kind of like more kind of technical testing or or something like that. Is it?
0: Oh, I'm to- I'm talking about uh, the manual testing, like the um the the kind of like obviously we do like the automated testings first to like make sure that just everything technically works the way it does, but it's that kind of manual testing you can't play test something on a console or by writing a script like you know you can only find out if something's fun by playing it and you know frankly you know as the person that designed the game you're often not even the right person to play test it so you end up having to get like other people to play test it to go out and do user research um in order to really understand like is it fun or not and like and what it needs to be and 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 the thing that can be quite challenging about that is that you know if the if there is something wrong it's not always like necessarily that apparent what it is that isn't working and so it can take like quite a few different iterations to understand like you know because it's like trial and error of like finding out does this work no is this fun no is this fun yes like you know Mm
2: can you give us an example of one of your games or a feature or a play mechanic within your game that ran through a lot of a lot of iteration before you got it right
0: yeah yeah i mean like you know i mean it's true for all for all the all the games uh but you know the uh, the trivia hero scoring mechanic you know is incre- incredibly uh complicated and i think the thing that um you know and the thing is that it it doesn't seem complicated when you play through like when you play through the game as a, as a user, but, you know, within that, I mean, it must handle probably like at least several hundred different permutations, different kind of cases of, did you win the round? Did you lose the round? Did you come second? Like, you know, did you beat the score that you did last time? But, like, you know, th- there's so many different kind of components that go go into it to kind of make it feel like fun and exciting um and you can only really get that by kind of just testing stuff again and again unfortunately
1: interesting uh richard asked uh, another question which i think is is uh, a good one that everyone I think will benefit from which is that if you're not designing specifically for Alexa or Google Assistant and if you're not designing games specifically as well is there anything that you've learned through the work that you've been doing through the testing you obviously lean heavily on user research and testing by the sounds of things so you're gathering a lot of real insight (laughs) into how things are working and all that kind of stuff and so Is there any principles that you tend to use, any things that you learn that you now do repeatedly as part of your process that you think would apply more generally and more broadly to anyone looking to design kind of conversational interfaces?
0: Uh, Yeah, so I I think that um, that kind of point that I I just made about like the iteration um, is, is kind of really key. That's something that, you know, I feel like um, yeah, when I when I worked in kind of consultancy and stuff, it was much more common that you know you did your like research and then as a designer you kind of like went away and thought deep thoughts and kind of came up with the kind of the perfect design, um, and then it got built and shipped to the client who inevitably then like butchered it uh, for the business their business needs. But you know uh, that that aside, um, whereas you know in game design you really can't do that it's really difficult to decide like to design something that is fun just in your own head to kind of come up with it you like you really can only tell if something is fun by building it and testing it and i and i kind of see like a bit of the same thing going on in the voice industry where like You know, people get really worried about, like, oh, do I understand, like, Grice's maxims? Like, you know, like feeling like they need to be a linguist in order to be a conversation designer. And like, I don't think that's true because right now there is just so much low-hanging fruit because there are so many badly designed conversations out there that can be fixed or radically improved just by doing a lot of iterative testing and people don't like doing it because it's boring frustrating and if you need to kind of go out and do it uh in like a proper research setting expensive Uh, i mean top top tip um we we just literally get users on zoom Uh, and get them to play our games and just watch them on a zoom um and you know it takes no time is like doesn't really cost much you know i think we we pay we pay them like uh, 15 quid uh you know a session for 15 minutes and and, you know you can bang through like a a whole bunch of those uh, like in a couple of hours um and it's you know it's really easy to organize and really easy to do and it honestly it's the single kind of best thing that you can do to improve the 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 quality of your conversation that you're designing
1: Hmm. we do the same with with kind of explorative research and role play Hmm. so just zoom Uh, calls and just actually have a conversation
0: investigative (laughs) rehearsal yeah yeah
1: yeah that's a nice technical term to use yeah
0: yeah (laughs) nicked it off of google that's what they call that
1: is it yeah, yeah 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 so it used to be like back-to-back chair table reads and stuff like yeah. that whereas just now at zoom call have a conversation see how it goes see if that if it's all right that's your that's your first draft and then away you go we, you know?
0: we, we actually don't do that i like um we always go straight to the prototype uh phase um because I, that's not necessarily advice for kind of everyone else um but it, like in gaming, because a game is not like a proper conversation. It's something that's, you know, a bit more unique uh, than that. It's kind of got very like structured rules. If you just kind of role play it as a conversation with a person, the temptation to kind of like, you know, bend the rules or to answer in a way that wouldn't be appropriate for the game is, it, like, is, too, is too high. Um, you know, it, it's better to just get straight to the prototype. And, and also, we know, at least with our stuff, that, like, the thing that makes a huge difference is, like, recognition. Um, and that we want to test straight out, like, straight away before we go anywhere, can we get the recognition right on this game? And that, so, you know, we build a prototype straight away because different game mechanics, like, have different recognition problems. And, you know, we... we want that prototype built straight away so we can test is this even feasible it doesn't need to be perfect but if it doesn't work at all at the prototype stage then it's probably never going to work or it's going to take such a long time that you'll never be able to ship it
1: Hmm. do you you use like on at that level if you want to try and test recognition do you kind of um do you build it like in the Alexa skills Kit or, or in, in dialogue flow for Google or something like that? So you can actually use the in situ technology or do you use another prototyping tool to do that?
0: No, no, no. We, um, we, we use Jovo. Um, yes. So shout out to Jan and the Yovo, Jovo team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, yeah we're, we're, we're kind of big fans of that.
1: Likewise, um, likewise. Big fans um, of Jovo. Great
0: framework um and yeah we we kind of but we we do we build straight on to like so we do the testing on an actual physical electric device or a google assistant device uh because we believe that you know we need to be able to test is it going to work in a real world scenario before before we can kind of actually get on and build the game properly
1: interesting Wicked. Well, I love that. Dustin, any, any final thoughts? I know a little bit over time. Any any final thoughts, last questions for Tom?
2: No, I think this was really interesting, even for, as we alluded to near the end, people who don't build games to take away a lot from this and be able to apply it to their own voice experiences.
1: Cool. Tom, appreciate it so much. How can people, we've, we've said it a few times already, but how can people try Voice Arcade?
0: <laughs> well, very easily. You just say, Alexa, open Voice Arcade
1: cool I'll
0: set off a load of people's right there and then so we'll be getting some free users
1: <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> nice one and, and how can people kind of follow you and, and keep on top of the things that you're doing and stuff like that online and stuff
0: uh, you can follow me personally just at Tom Hewitson on Twitter um, you know LabWorks and Voice Arcade are both on Twitter and other social media platforms um, as, you, as you like. Um, you can go and see us at voicearcade.com. Um, and yeah, that's it.
1: Cool. Well, really appreciate it, Tom. And uh, unfortunately, we won't be on Clubhouse after this, boys and girls, because Tom is still in the Android ecosystem and not and excluded from Clubhouse by the sounds of things. To, to be fair,
0: I'm not sure that... I don't feel like I'm missing out on much, actually. It's like going to a conference without a free bar. And, and and everyone knows the bar is the best bit of a conference
1: that is absolutely true uh, and unfortunately David David Laws said that can't be in for beers in London chaps health one and lockdown has made me thirsty it's made me thirsty as well and regrettably we won't be going for beers uh, after this uh, or a clubhouse session we've more or less just done a clubhouse session to be perfectly honest between the mm-hmm. three of us um, so yeah yeah it's been absolutely fantastic Tom really appreciate having you along and glad we could finally do it and uh, hopefully we won't wait quite so long next time when, when is, this, is there any signs of the meetup coming back
0: Oh, it'll come back when when uh when these things, such things are allowed, we'll 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 have it we'll have it back. Um yeah. mainly because I love to go to the pub, so <laughs> nice one. Cool.
1: I like well, I, I like
0: the I like the off the record chat. That's when you find out all the good industry gossip.
1: It is, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dustin, we'll we'll have to definitely uh we'll have to definitely get you over from, from uh Paris for, for the kick off. Yeah, yeah to the euro, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You have to come and speak. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Nice one, cool. Well, Tom, it's been cool. an absolute pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, next week, we've got two uh, podcasts. Next week, we've got Poly AI and we've got Audio Code. So, we'll be talking about uh, building enterprise voice assistance with Poly AI and connecting that with any contact center with Audio Code. So, do tune in then. Until next time, see you later.